We are live. Do you want to call the meeting to order? Okay. Board member Brinkerhoff? Here. Board member Sorensen? Here. Chair Rollins? Here. Board member Weathers? Here. Board member Gremmels? Here. Chair Kugelman? Here. This is the mid-year meeting of the Assessment Appeals Board for the County of Marin, Boards 1 and 2. Um, I don't know that I am the one who should be uh, leading the meeting, but since nobody else has stepped forward, I will. I, I can step in, Madam Chair. Thank you. Um, under old business, we have the return to in-person only for Assessment Appeal Board hearings. And um, we, the chair, I mean, the clerk is basically prepared to go forward with in-person meetings beginning May 20th. We're looking at May 20th due to the 45 day hearing notice deadline that we have to send out. And um, if the board do recall back in November, we had a meeting to discuss uh, returning to in-person meetings beginning January, 2022. And after feedback and discussion, the boards, both boards agreed to, but then Omnicron, Omnicron surfaced. And so we continued with remote. So now we are actually looking at May 20th. So um, if anybody wants to. We, we had several members who had real concerns about that on both boards because of children who could not be vaccinated. And so we should probably hear from those members um, since those of us without young children in the families um, may not have those same concerns. Sure, I'm, I'm happy to speak to that. Um, yeah, I, I think at this point there was that wave, but I, I feel totally comfortable going back in in person. I think, it, I think it makes sense from, from, from my perspective. I think I was the other one with grandchildren and uh, I'm fine going back in person. Okay. Dirk, did you have a concern? Unmute yourself. <laughs> uh, I, guess, I guess, I guess you couldn't hear me. My, my, grandchildren are vaccinated um, and, uh, <laughs> and were separated far enough from <clears throat> anybody who might wander in that uh, I don't right. think we've got a problem there. Does anyone else have a concern? Then I would make a motion that we move forward with live hearings, in-person hearings, forgive me. These are live, <laughs> we're just video. <laughs> of live people um, that we moved to in-person hearings as of May 20th, 2022. I'll second. Board member Brinkerhoff? Aye. Board member Sorensen? Aye. Chair Rollins? Aye. Board member Weathers? 
Yes. Board Member Gremmels? Yes. Chair Kugelman? Yes. Okay. All right, let's see. Now the next one item that we have calendared for discussion is the letter to assessor number 2022-007. And I'm gonna upload that to the chat, just bear with me. Um, basically what it is, is a letter from the Board of Equalization stating that assessment appeal boards may hold either in-person hearings or remote hearings. But the applicant, if we decide to do a hybrid, the applicant will be the authority to indicate that they wanna hold their hearings either in-person or um, remotely. So let me get that letter up here. Hold on one second, I'm in a little trouble here. And um, if board members, if you are not subscribers to receive those letters to assessors, I strongly encourage, it's really good information and I can send you the link uh, via email after the meeting. Now you should all have received the letter. Let me know if you didn't. I'm gonna also upload the agenda because I didn't do that, I apologize. All right. And I sent the letter just to share the information, but is there any discussion or any comments? Okay, all right. The next item for discussion is um, the hearing date confirmation notices. Oh, I apologize. The AAB policy regarding continuing with um, e-signatures. Yeah, I'm sorry, actually. Can I go back to the last topic real quick? And Absolutely. I just had a question for the assessor's office. How do you guys like the remote hearings? I mean, I, as a possibility of like moving forward and having like maybe like a hybrid where like allowing some applicants to, to, to opt into remote because people probably like that from a perspective of having to show up all day. I don't know if there's a, I know there's cost to it, but maybe just something to consider moving forward as just kind of, it's obviously a new, a brave new world with the, the Zoom lifestyle we all, li all live with. Thank you for that question. Um, and that was something we were going to lead into with a later agenda item. Um, I may offer this uh, question to be uh, directed to the assessor uh, at this moment, uh, unless the assessor would like me to speak on behalf of, of her. Um, Shelly, did you have anything you wanted to add for that, that question? Actually, I haven't really thought about it. Um, I, I know that we've had so many requests for in-person that I felt that that was probably folks you know, they were leaning more in that arena. At least the phone calls that I've received from constituents has been, you know, when are we going to have live hearings again? When are we going to all be in the room that they didn't like Zoom? At least I've gotten more complaints. I haven't gotten received any complaints that they want to stay in that arena. All of them so far have been, 
I want live. So I don't really have a preference. I don't know if my staff does, I'll let them comment. Yeah, if, if I may add to that, um, and again, part of what we have on the agenda is distinguishing cases between um, uh, owner-represented cases and agent-represented cases. And I don't know if we, we have the ability to um, not discriminate, but identify and treat and triage the cases accordingly. Uh, I would think we could. And um, the reason why I'm, I'm posing this question is we had at the last hearing one agent who told us it was only going to be a half an hour and three hours later, um, this agent was still um, presenting his case and, and um, not following procedures as, as much as we would have liked to have seen. And meanwhile, there were two owner-represented cases that ended up having to wait until after one o'clock. And um, it wasn't until maybe about three o'clock that one of the owners was able to present their case. So it just seemed a little inequitable to those people that have been waiting for such a long time. And I know there's no way to weigh that out. Um, but we have seen with some uh, owner-represented cases that this works out very nicely for them in order to participate in on a Zoom hearing so they don't have to take time off of work. But then on the other side of it, we've seen, I, I've talked to some taxpayers and we resolved the issue with them, but they're very interested um, in participating in on the process. So it doesn't exactly get resolved until the day of the hearing. So it's, it's convenient in a couple of different ways as far as um, working with the Zoom format. But then it is a little bit harder uh, in regards to making sure that the formalities of the hearing are followed. So it's kind of a mixed blessing, <laughs> so to speak. Uh, and I'm not exactly sure that as we move into this new culture of um, video audio um, availability for most people, even on their phones, that eliminating this uh, ability is the right direction to go. Although I know it's very expensive and I know it's cumbersome to prepare for it. So I think that those are kind of the, the cumbersome piece, especially for the clerk, as well as getting documents to the board members, I think that that's really the piece that has to be worked out before we can really continue to step into that virtual world. Uh, this is Diane Patterson, the assistant clerk, and I'll just chime in from some feedback I've received. So the Board of Supervisors uh, currently does offer a hybrid uh, opportunity for the public to participate by Zoom. In terms of the other kind of official boards and commissions uh, here at the county, I think there's kind of a variance in terms of like Parks and Open Space Commission or Personnel Commission. Uh, I, I don't know specifically what they're doing, but I think even for the county, the county is um, you know looking at what's required, which may be just a telephone opportunity to, to call in in addition to being live in the chambers. And certainly that telephone only would not suffice for the assessment appeals arena. Um, as Andrea mentioned, I, you know, there, are, there are some cumbersome aspects. There are some positive aspects for the applicant. 
um, I would tend to lean towards getting back to in person and perhaps at a later date, if this if it is an issue for applicants is to reconsider it at that time. In fact, we may uh, be required, the State Board of Equalization continues to monitor um, how remote hearings are working with counties. And we may find that there's a day that they mandate for counties of certain sizes that we have to offer a hybrid solution. However, my concern is in part, um, as you may know that we have transitions happening in the clerk's office. We have quite a backlog of cases that will be discussed a little bit later. And um, again, I think the focus, primary focus should be getting through the backlog and positioning ourselves in a place that we can um, entertain the option of doing hybrid. But I think to keep our focus on just getting through the caseload is paramount. Okay, well, I, I just I just was wondering how that people felt about that, and also, do you just don't know how people feel, or you know, there could be another wave that comes along, or is, you know what I mean? Just things are so fluid; it seems like it's going to be around for a while. So, I think it's totally reasonable just to kind of come back in person and just kind of monitor it. But I I know I'm personally, I think it's a good question to ask, and there might be people that you might get the opposite effect once you go back in person, where people ask, you know, Zoom or remote, you know. So yeah, just just that feedback maybe in six months would be would be helpful from the assessor's office. Absolutely, and, and uh, we're happy to contribute to the conversation. We want to do what's good for the the public. That's that's the ultimate goal. Well, we have operated for um, decades uh, without Zoom. Uh, <laughs> that's before Zoom, or, or or any of these other uh, high tech kind of things. So um, I I don't have any problem going going back to uh, the way it used to be. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I, like uh, Dirk, I, I agree. For 30 years, we hadn't didn't have Zoom, so I think we did okay for 30 years, so that I'm aware of anyway. Okay, um, going back to the next item now, um, continuing with e-signature. Any comments or discussion you want to have about that? I, I personally think that it's, you know, once we've approved, which, which happens over the internet anyway, once we've approved our findings, I'm very happy with using the e-signature because personally it means I don't have to get in the car. <laughs> if if the uh, if the board of equalization says it's okay, um, I'm certainly okay with it. We use it in our business all the time. every day, all <laughs> the time. Um, it, you know there are federal laws that recognize it. Um, don't know if they're state laws, but uh, I, I think it, it ought to work fine. Agreed. Ms. Anker, did you have anything you would like to say about this? I mean, e-signature e is definitely an accepted, like, lawful way of signing a document. I don't think there's, like, 
it makes the findings any legally less sufficient. Um, I know in the past we've talked a little bit about whether it's a change of procedure that needs to be adopted by the Board of Supervisors. Um, and I think I don't have like the best sense because I'm, I still feel pretty new to this assignment, like what we've taken to the board in the past for adoption. And Diane, I don't know if you have any sense of that or if it's something you could pull out of the Board of Supervisors like historical documents. I just, it doesn't seem like a big deal to me for you guys just to keep using e-signature. But if you generally formalize changes, like if there's like a, a policy in the past that says you're gonna hand sign, then yes, we would need to go back to the board. I just don't, I really don't feel like I have sort of the historical knowledge on what we have taken to the board for approval other than the remote procedures that I saw get taken to the board. Um, yeah, I, I don't have the definitive. Certainly we could uh, search what topics the supervisors have adopted resolutions pertaining to assessment appeal operations. To my recollection, it, the resolutions adopted by the supervisors have not been kind of of the administrative variety. Okay. You know, they've adopted resolutions allowing us to charge a processing fee. Okay. They've adopted resolutions regarding reconsideration and more procedural versus administrative, um, as I, as I uh, recall. So do, would, you, would you agree with that? We have, should we have a motion to continue with the approval of the Board of Supervisors if it's required? <laughs> That's sort of a vague motion. <laughs> But, it, but what I'm hearing is we're all in agreement that it's very nice, but if there is a process we have to go through to have it approved, should we make motion that we would like to continue? And if there is a process that has to be approved by the Board of Supervisors, then we would ask that that process um, move forward. That works. That works good <laughs> for me. Oh, Shelly, let's hear Shelly. Yeah, my, my instincts say that that's necessary only because some other hats that I wear in terms of the recorder and the county clerk, um, I don't have authorization to take in a, an e-signature. It has to be a wet signature in certain things. So my instincts kind of say we should probably make sure that we've crossed our I's and dotted our T's just because I know in other instances, Granted, I know they're different departments, but there are rules and regulations that forbid me to take that. So I just want to make sure we're following the rules. Yeah, which I think is what, you know, what that would do. We would like to, so uh, I make motion that we, um, at, that, that we ask the Board of Supervisors to formalize our e-signatures on documents um, relating to assessment appeals if it is necessary for them to approve it. Otherwise, that we move forward with e-signatures. That's still not terribly clear. <laughs> Come on, there's some attorneys here. You guys clarify my language for me. <laughs> it's, it's is there a second? I'll second. 
And Karina, it was perfectly stated. <laughs> no, it wasn't. <laughs> Board Member Brinkerhoff? Aye. Board Member Sorensen? Yes. Chair Rollins? Yes. Board Member Weathers? Yes. Board Member Gremmels? Yes. Board Member Kugelman? Yes. Okay. Thank you. All right. The next one is calendar for discussion is hearing date confirmation notices and assessor case preparation. Ms. Bell, if I can turn that over to you. Uh, absolutely. And I um, will actually turn this over to David CB. He did a little research for us yesterday. One of the questions that the assessor has had in the past is uh, it's required that the applicants return the hearing date confirmation notice the first time that the case is placed on the calendar. And as you know, many times the cases are uh, postponed by the applicant or maybe even by the assessor. And then the next time that the case is calendared, they're not required to return the hearing date confirmation. Now, prior to our shelter in place and when we have the in-person hearings, what would happen is the second time that case was placed on the calendar, a hearing date confirmation notice was not required. The assessor would prepare for the case and yet the applicant wouldn't show up. So it was a, a great deal of time the assessor personnel were spending on preparation. We haven't really seen that sort of impact with the, the Zoom hearings. We've seen that for the most part, people have been showing up. I know of two cases where this has happened. And um, David CB, did you do any further research yesterday? Did you find further cases where they didn't show up for the second posted hearing? Um, yeah, I looked back at all of the hearings in 2021 and the few that we've had here in 2022. And there's just been the two, two cases that I could find where initial uh, initially they were postponed um, and then the second time they were scheduled, the applicant did not show up. So it's happened twice where the assessor has you know, prepared cases and was ready to proceed with a hearing, yet there was a no-show by the applicant. So, you know, I haven't, I don't have the total number of cases, you know, that have, that were of that, you know, but two in a, in a year and in, in a quarter. So um, it's still, you know, still two cases of wasted time for the assessor's office, but um, in, you know, in my opinion, in the grand scheme of things, um, that's not that much. Yeah, it was, it was, uh, the number was larger when we were in person. So we could definitely revisit this same subject again at the annual meeting um, as we step into May. And we've got quite a few cases on for the May calendar. So that might give us a little bit of a better barometer when we start stepping into the, like I said, the live hearings. Yeah. Question though, could we just adopt a policy requiring applicants to submit a hearing date confirmation notice, even if the hearing is continued? It would that, seem efficient. That certainly would be up to the board members, of course, um, but that's, that's a good suggestion. I, that makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. 
Make I, mean, I know up. Alex, I know from the <laughs> lawyer side, judges get mad when you just don't show up to a hearing because the judge has put in all the time to prep for the hearing. So, uh, Madam, pardon my interruption. Um, just to interject here to say that number one, this topic came up at last year's annual meeting when we had just two months prior had an uh, example of this or a month prior had an example of this where the applicant on the second appearance did not show. And as Ms. Balf noted, you know, the assessor staff had to prepare and were ready to go and the applicant just didn't show. At the annual meeting, your board directed the clerk as part of our um, Zoom procedures as we notify the applicants of the deadlines pertaining to their upcoming Zoom hearings to include language in that notice about it takes time and resources for staff to prepare. Please advise the clerk if you are not planning to pursue your case. And we've had some um, success in terms of getting feedback and responses on that. But as Ms. Balf noted and Mr. Seabee, you know, there's still have been a couple outliers where staff have prepared and, and um, used uh, resources. To your point, Mr. Weathers, uh, you know, the clerk would follow whatever direction your board has. The issue of, of uh, issuing a hearing date confirmation notice the second time for, for subsequent hearings has had a fair amount of discussion. Mr. Brinkerhoff and Ms. Rollins may recall at previous annual or mid-year meetings when we were live when this topic came up and we were uh, fairly closely scrutinizing the existing language of the hearing date confirmation notice. Um, and part of the concern that at least the clerk raised at the time was the hearing date confirmation notice as we currently use makes note as to the postponement rights. And so if we have a subsequent hearing date confirmation notice that would be sent, we would have to modify, which again, the clerk will do as directed, but the hearing date confirmation notice would have to be revised to make clear to the applicant that if this is your second um, postponement request, you don't receive that as a matter of right. And so there were just some other you know, technical language issues that we discussed previously that would have to be revisited again should we take the direction of requiring, requiring applicants to submit a hearing date confirmation notice for subsequent uh, hearings. Thank you for that. Uh, Dirk or Karina, you seem to be the longest tenured. What, what are your, <laughs> what's your, what's your recollection of this issue? Are you accusing us of being the oldest or the no, oldest? No, the wisest. Kirk, <laughs> you take precedence. You've been around longer than me. <laughs> well, I think we, we've, uh, we may have decided, and I don't have the, the records on this, that uh, um, something in, in the way of uh, indicating the amount of work that goes that goes into it um, and uh, asking um, that they make it known whether or not they're going to appear um, maybe maybe something handy I don't know whether whether there'd be a need to change from whatever um, notice, you're sending out now. My my recollection is that the most difficult part was 
the wording. And um, as Andrea brought up, uh, Ms. Balf brought up earlier, um, there is this issue of who tends not to show up. I find it interesting that in the Zoom environment, we had less of a problem. <laughs> um, and that may be because there isn't the requirement that people get in their car and come to the Civic Center. I mean, that in and of itself can cause people to say, oh, I'm not gonna come or to forget that they have to come. But I think that I, well, I know I agree with Thomas's point, which is, as I'm understanding it, people need to be reminded. I mean, I have a daytimer, old fashioned paper daytimer, and I look at it every morning at five o'clock in the morning before I go swim. So I know what I have to do when I'm done swimming. <laughs> and um, I think that reminding people is an important part of the process. I, as I recall, and Dirk, you can tell me if I'm recalling incorrectly, and actually um, Andrea would have heard this too, I think. Um, I, I distinctly remember that we looked at, or that the clerk looked at whether or not it was agents or owners who tended not to show up. And I, as I recall on the balance, it was the agents who were less likely to show up. And even a couple of times the owners showed up and they didn't have an agent. So, um, you know, it's obviously something we're continuing to wrestle with. And it's interesting how it has shifted a little bit for this last um, time period between the, the annual meeting and this semi-annual meeting that the two cases that did not show up for the hearing, for the second posted hearing, those were both owner-represented <laughs> cases. So it's, it's interesting how that's shifted. And before, where it was more of the live hearing sort of situation, it was the agents. And um, it, it, it's an interesting conundrum. And, um, you know, and, and to, to lean into um, um, Mr. Weathers, it, it may not be too, too much of a um, task, although I'll leave that to the clerk, um, to send out that second hearing date confirmation notice, just alter the language in it, which I think you could, your board members could maybe work on or ask council to work on for the next um, annual meeting. And so that's something to, to take into consideration. And excuse me if I'm, I'm offering um, uh, instructions, but um, just, just offering some sort of um, ideas on how to proceed forward. Kelly? I'm curious whether or not um, if there's an opportunity to automate this in some way through through systems that might be something we might want to look at so that it's less burdensome um, on the clerk. I don't know their systems. I know I'm, I'm assuming some of that are connected to mine, but I can't say I know that for sure. 
there's a way to automate it. Just a suggestion. Yeah, and the only way, just to clarify, the only thing that's connected to the assessor, because obviously we want the separation between these two agencies um, for the uh, equalization um, aspect of the assessment appeals, the only thing that feeds into our system is the application information. And that's under um, statute that, that that's required to be shared with the assessor. So I just wanted to clarify that. Thank you, Andrea. Mm-hmm. So just, and Marie can speak to this as well. Um, Certainly the clerk uh, office does use a homegrown program to manage our assessment appeals caseload. It is uh, pretty functional for the needs of managing the cases that we have. There are some um, limitations to it. And in fact, we um, have been in conversation over various times with the assessor staff where the assessor has asked, gee, can you run this report? Um, and we say, no, the functionality doesn't currently allow it. And to allow us to run those reports, we would have to work with IST and find funding and go through this formal <laughs> process through the county's system, uh, IST department. Um, you, you know, I think from the clerk standpoint, we would support revisiting this at the annual meeting. From what I heard Mr. CB report on, it hasn't been a big issue during the Zoom times with just two cases over say a year and year and a half perhaps. Um, and again, we certainly can explore and, and work with council and your board in terms of coming up with perhaps um, a template that might be used um, for a second notice. Um, We certainly can provide, um, I don't know how much detail the minutes from past discussions might have, but I do recall um, from my time here is that there was fairly a robust discussion about, uh, gee, what does this statement then mean for the applicant? Does that mean they get a second bite at the apple in terms of another postponement? And so again, certainly the notice would have to be revised and we'd have to work, assuming we come to agreement on a second hearing date confirmation notice that's agreeable to all, we'd have to work with IST in terms of programming the system so that that's sent out to certain applicants, but not others. So again, I think it's doable. Um, Some of it can be automated, uh, but given that at present, what I've heard is that only two cases over the last, again, year plus have really been at issue um, I would support the recommendation to kind of revisit this in July for the annual meeting. Um, and we have modified our hearing um, notices that we do send out, putting even in red font, the importance of applicants being present at nine o'clock, being, being prepared and ready to go. So um, there are other means that we've tried from the clerk standpoint of emphasizing the importance of communicating with our office so that we have a clear idea of what cases will be heard and not. So perhaps a combination of continuing those efforts and revisiting it at the annual meeting will get to the result we're hoping for. I, I would make motion that we move um, this to a re-examination at the annual meeting. Um, but that- Chair, before we get into the motion, I think David had his hand up. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, um, thank you. Um, I also wanted to add that as a matter of course, um, the assessor is sending out um, for every uh, case calendared a 441D request to the applicant. And there have been a few instances where 
they have responded to our 441D request, which has a dated response on it. And they did not respond to the hearing date confirmation because they, they were confused and thought that the responding to the 441D was all they needed to do. And so I would recommend if we're gonna look to maybe change some of the language on the hearing date confirmation to have a, a, a statement on there that this is a separate request than what the assessor has done with their 441D. Um, we have been uh, nice, I would say, in those that didn't, those applicants that did not return their hearing date confirmation, but have been in contact with us via the 441D request, we've gone forward with hearings, but um, I would say there's probably been about a handful of those and not all of them, these cases actually went to hearing, but about a handful where the applicant is responding and, and working with the assessor and they thought that was all they needed to do and they didn't return the hearing date confirmation. And in those instances, um, Dave is usually the first contact with them on that. And in those instances, the assessor has notified the board members of that. And the assessor has said, We're, we are ready to proceed. And we would go ahead and um, proceed with the hearing on that. So we haven't, that has not been a missed opportunity on behalf of the applicant, just because they were a little confused on that. We, and good point, Dave, thank you for bringing that up. Um, so I just wanted to clarify that we have proceeded through, even if the applicant has not returned the hearing date confirmation notice, we recognize that they're cooperating and that's what we're looking for. And, and can I make a request if, if we revisit this in July, is it possible you guys could just have just some examples of all these? Because I'm not really familiar with these forms because we don't really see them or send them or, you know, so I, I understand what you're kind of getting at, but I don't really the nuts and bolts mechanics that we're talking about would be helpful for me if I could just, you guys just walk me through in two minutes, kind of, this is the first thing they get, this is the issue, this is the timeline. And I think that would help me kind of be, oh, be more helpful here. Absolutely. Uh, for the assess on the assessor's behalf, we're happy to do that. And I'm sure the clerk will um, provide copies of all those notices that are sent out as well. Thank you. And um, I'm sorry to interrupt again, uh, I just wanted to notify everybody on this meeting this morning that both Shelly and I have a uh, had a long-term meeting that had been scheduled and couldn't be changed at 10.30, so we will be exiting at that time. Thank you. Thank you. And Madam Chair, just a quick follow-up to the conversation at hand here is the clerk certainly can provide... Um, copies, samples of the hearing date confirmation notices and kind of that pre-hearing information that is generic that we send to applicants. I try to put in the chat the text that is from a hearing date notice, pardon me, um, a hearing notice and it didn't come through, I don't think <laughs> in full sentences. So we can send <laughs> uh, that across to you as well. Uh, but yeah, we're happy to forward it to you and we can plan to schedule a follow-up discussion um, at the annual meeting in July. Thank yeah, you. And, and that was specifically what I wanted to make sure was added to the motion that we revisit this in July was that all of the board members receive copies of at least the current notices and confirmation notices um, that the public is receiving so we know what we're talking about. We might send those out 
early so that uh, everybody could take a look at them. Um, one thing, since since there are enough attorneys um, uh, here, uh, it's I think I think one thing to keep in mind is that the people who are reading these are people who have who are uh, not attorneys number one um, and who are involved in a procedure for the very first time uh, and there's lots of language in those um, uh, my my goal has always been to try to get these things bulleted um, rather than everything in one paragraph. Um, so, because it's so easy for, for people to miss out, read the first portion and then uh, figure the rest is, uh, is um, uh, just something that gets included in the notice, but I don't need to read it. Um, right, boilerplate. Thank you. I'm going to remember that. Um, anyway, that's something to keep in mind as you read this and think about ways to make it better or fit the, the instance that we're talking about. I'll second the motion. Okay. Thank you. Board Member Brinkerhoff? Yes. I'm, he seconded the motion. I'm I think I seconded the motion. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> I think maybe we need to repeat the yeah, motion. Madam Clerk, uh, could you could you remind me what the motion was? <laughs> um, to revisit, I'm just like kind of just bear with me here. To revisit the, the language proposed in the notice of hearings and to revisit the the language at our annual meeting in July and provide samples in advance. All right, I'm going to do this again. Board Member Brinkerhoff. Yes. Board Member Sorensen. Yes. Chair Rollins. Yes. Board Member Weathers. Yes. Board Member Gremmels. Yes. Chair Kugelman. Yes. Thank you. Okay. Under the next item number two, we have status of assessment appeal applications. And according to records, we had 282 appeals that were filed. And I'm going to also, at the same time, upload the 180-day report to everybody. As of uh, April 22nd. Madam Clerk, so uh, 282 applications, and that was filed for the uh, 2021 year? 20, 21, 22. Okay. And um, do we know how many are outstanding at this point? I don't at this point. Okay. I was just informed about 100 were processed. Okay, great. Thank you. If there's nothing else, I'm going to go on to the next new business. Uh, let's see. 
Now, since I'm brand new to all this, um, we wanted to revisit property rule 313, property tax rule 313, the hearing procedures, and want to know how much detail the board would like me to read into the record. Um, apparently, according to rule 313A, the chair or the clerk shall basically just announce the number of the application and the name of the applicant, as opposed to the, the role and everything else. And I'm going to upload a script that I actually was using when I first started here. So you get an idea of what I'm talking about. There you go. Everybody should have it. I don't know if sometimes I'm giving out too much information and it slows down the hearing process or The second page is what you would look at, which is, I'm sure. Uh, from my perspective, I've never thought it was too much information and always just kind of, I think kind of goes with some of the, one of the new business items for us about, you know, obviously for us, the case is totally new. So having 20 or 30 seconds just to kind of get our bear, bearings, even pull up the file is, you know, welcomed from my perspective. Okay. My feeling has, has always been that uh, that information is all down in writing in front of us. Um, and uh, we, can, we can see it. Um, and, and rather than reading it, especially if you've got multiple applications for, for one applicant, um, just kind of takes up time. Um, I do think that uh, the idea of, of, of announcing um, one, whether there are um, uh, findings required and two, whether it's a owner occupied property um, are, are both handy, but to recite the whole history of what's gone on, um, which is, is uh, been what's happened frequently um, doesn't really add too much to to our consideration. I think I agree with Alex that it's helpful to me to have that additional information. Um, maybe because I'm new, but. Uh, yeah, I think I think it is helpful, not a waste of time. But uh, anyway, I, I know when I was new that I appreciated it because it gave me a chance to focus in on what was in front of me and what the history was and get a sense of where we were moving from um, or moving forward from, but. Um, you know, I, I would defer to what is useful for the newer members. Because I know it's useful for me. <laughs> I 
Anybody else want to comment? It helps me. <laughs> okay. Okay, if there's nothing else, I'm gonna go on to the next item for discussion. This is the day of the hearing to prioritize the cases. Um, looking to distinguishing the owner represented and the agent represented cases. Mrs. Bell, would you like to take it from here? Sure, and uh, we've, we've already talked about this just a little bit and um, going back again to the last hearing that we had, um, where the agent um, upper, uh, underestimated the amount of time that it was going to take to present the case. And when he originally estimated a half an hour and it ended up being three hours, which sometimes some of these complicated cases and, and the assessor kind of had a hunch it was gonna go that direction. And um, meanwhile, as I mentioned again before, that we had two owner represented cases that had to wait the majority of the day and were not able to present their cases until after uh, lunch, which was around one o'clock or 1.30. Um, so I didn't know if this was an opportunity to triage these kind of cases. And um, I know everything is scheduled for nine o'clock and there's no simplified way to, to do this. And I know that we've, uh, the, the clerk and, and also the board um, chair have been very instrumental in trying to um, disseminate this information, but is there an easy idea or easy concept that might provide more equitably, equitable um, hearing procedures for both parties, for the agent and for the owner represented cases? I, I think for myself, when we were having live hearings, I was almost always at the county, maybe 15 minutes before the hearing started, when the clerk was handing out um, the folders. Mm -hmm. And although, you know, you're not gonna look at what's in that folder, unless you have extra time and you can look at the consent items, you know, the rest of it, you're not going to look into the case, but it gave me an idea of what the day was going to be like. And with the remote hearings, we don't have that opportunity. I don't open the envelope until the moment I'm told I can. Um, I have only been chair as long as some people have been on their board, which is not very long. So I'm not terribly gifted at sounding out the timing. You know, this, this is a new process for me to learn. Um, and I'm sure Alex's chair has the same problem that, you know, we're, we're looking at things for the first time. And this also plays into the request for the basic information um, before the cases are even heard. Because there are certain types of cases you almost always know are going to take much longer. And scheduling, bearing that in mind, um, might be helpful to the degree that we're allowed to do so. Yeah, and that does dovetail nicely into the next agenda item, um, yeah. 
which is provide basic information to board members in advance of scheduling hearing. And so the question on that becomes, what can your board see um, or hear about prior to the hearing? And um, I know I, um, we had this discussion this morning about the appeal applications, which I don't think the appeal applications are confidential, but I don't know if that is something that the board members can learn about prior to the hearing, excuse me, prior to the hearing, can you um, do some discovery on what sort of cases are on the calendar? And for example, like we, we typically hear a, um, a purchase price presumption case, and we know that that's going to take some time. Or if it's a business division or personal property sort of case, we've discovered that those take a little bit longer. So I don't know, um, your counsel, it seems like, has um, turned on her video. Perhaps she's got some input on that. Yeah, I do. So I, I want to be able to say you can have all of the records and read them all and know everything before the hearings. But unfortunately, the, the property tax rule 302 says that your board can only has to render its decision only on the basis of proper evidence presented at the hearing. So no evidence can be provided to your, you can't look at any evidence prior to the hearing. That being said, I think it is the application itself is maybe not evidence. Um, I know lots of other counties provide the applications itself to board members prior to the hearing. I think the risk we run with the board receiving applications prior to the hearing is so the first thing I do when I get an application is I go online and I look up the address and I look at pictures of the property and I do sort of like all of those sorts of things. And you're, we wouldn't want your board doing that. That would be a violation of the law. So you would need to be really careful to not sort of take the information in front of you and go do independent research and start looking, go drive by the house. Like you, you can't do anything like that. Um, and I don't even know what's in, whether what's in the application would really be particularly helpful for the problems that arise. Um, I similarly have the problem that when the cases start, I'm like, what's happening? And I'm like trying to figure it out. I'm trying to piece things together. I'm trying to, sort, I feel like I'm playing catch up for the first like, you know, 20 minutes or something. And really understand like, what are the issues? What are, what are we talking about? Where are we at in this hearing? Um, <coughs> And I just don't think the application on its face is going to help and it could potentially create temptation or inadvertently, I don't know, doing something online or in their neighborhood that would give you some sort of evidence that then is in your mind when you are making findings. Um, that being said, I don't think if you really want the application, I don't think seeing the application itself before the hearing would, would violate that rule. Um, one of the things that struck me was that periodically we receive a list of all of the cases that are coming before the board. And we are asked to look at the list and determine if we have a conflict of interest. And on occasion we do. And if we receive nothing more than precisely what we received in that list, at least we'd have some sense of the kinds of hearings 
that we're going to be seeing that day. Um, um, Madam Clerk, would it be helpful to you and the other board members? And I, and again, um, Ms. Anchor, you can certainly identify if this violates um, information coming to the board members before the hearing as evidence, but identifying the type of cases that are outstanding on any particular appeal calendar date? Well, they do in the sense that they tell us uh, there's three single family residential hearings and two commercial hearings. Okay. okay, okay. So we already know that. Okay. And as I say, we've already been told the names of every case that's coming up that year. Mm -hmm. So to reiterate that these are the case names, I don't think is telling us anything we didn't know before, except that now it's time to hear it. I think it would be very helpful uh -oh. to, get, to get the appeal application. Um, I know at the beginning of the hearing, you open the envelope and you've got to look at all that information. And if we have that in advance, I think it would be extremely helpful. Um, as a lawyer, I don't see that it really causes a problem um, because I, I think the rule says you can only uh, act on the evidence that's been introduced. Well, that application hasn't been introduced yet because the hearing hasn't started. I do understand the problem with doing independent research and, and I think we're all sophisticated enough not to do that. Um, you know, if, if, if someone is really concerned about that, I think that the clerk could ask at the beginning of the meeting if any board members have done any independent research and we could all say no, if you want that on the record. But I don't, I don't know how anyone is ever gonna prove that we have done independent research anyway when they challenge something like this in court, so. There, there have been instances over the years I've been here where as an appraiser, I know the property that has come up because I've used it as a comparable, or I know the comparables the moment I see somebody's appraisal report. Oh yeah, I know that comparable, right? But have I researched it or thought about it since I used it two years ago? No, but I do remember that it closed. Um, that probably is more of a problem with Nelson and me. Maybe it's a problem occasionally for Dirk because he might be very familiar with the commercial sale, but that doesn't in and of itself constitute having researched it as a result of the hearing. That's a different issue though. So that, that particular yeah. issue in and of itself is that you have to sort of try to block off the exactly. knowledge that you that, that's what I'm from saying. Your, your prior experience. Right, that's what I'm saying. So, you know, we're, we have to do that. Yeah. And as a consequence, knowing the address of the property, we ought to be able to compartmentalize, you know, our yeah. past knowledge of it from yeah. what's going to be presented. Otherwise, yeah. you probably shouldn't have anybody who's had any real estate experience on the board. Mr. Seavey? Yes, um, my concern is um, some applications have uh, attached to them either appraisals or 
an owner will um, write a Word document narrative presenting their case, basically. And none so, of that could be provided. It would just have to be okay. the standard okay. first two pages of the application. It couldn't include, they're not supposed to do that, but it couldn't include those accidental situations where they do basically present all of their evidence right. as part of the, the application. I feel like the application is never presented as a piece of evidence by other part, either party. So I feel like it really doesn't sort of fit into that situation, but any attachments would be problematic. Okay. But what was the rule again, Sarah, that you referenced? Rule 302C. 302. Thank you. Yeah. The other idea I had for this, and I don't know how helpful this would be or really how it could be negotiated, is having more pre-hearing conferences. Mm -hmm. um, so the board definitely has the ability to have pre-hearing conferences. The assessor can request them. The applicant can request them. The board can request them. Um, and so I, I know we'd sort of have to rely on the assessor to bring forward cases that they're aware of that are gonna be a little bit bigger and more complicated. We wouldn't necessarily know that ahead of time. Um, but that is one way that I think the board could have a little bit more information ahead of time. You know, the, the big issues could be sort of discussed in broad strokes. Like you can sort of try to narrow issues, any briefing that might need to be done. That could be a tool that we could use more often. Absolutely, and, and thank you, Ms. Anker. Um, we did have a discussion about that um, actually over the past couple of weeks and again today. And just as a note of reference for the May calendar, there's approximately 45 cases that are scheduled for that May calendar. And this is what we're going to see as we move forward is some larger caseloads for each um, independent assessment appeal date identified just because there have been a number of cases that have said we prefer in-hearing um, uh, meetings rather than a Zoom uh, presentation. So we're looking at larger um, caseloads for the day. And I think we've identified already three that we will be taking forward to a pre-hearing, <coughs> excuse me, allergies are getting to me again. Um, to a pre-hearing conference, and we may end up seeing more as we move forward. One of the distinctive issues that we run into, and David Seavey can attest to this as well, is that many times we don't discover that there's more involved with the case until the applicant starts reaching out to us. And many times that's with, within that 30-day window period and um, presently, the way that the pre-hearing conference is, is structured is we need to ask for that 30 days before the hearing. Is that correct? We have to give, you have to give 30 days notice prior to the conference. So if they presented issues to you sooner than that, you would have to, um, unless you and the applicant stipulate orally in writing to a shorter notice period. Yes. Right, and, and we could end up doing that. Um, definitely. But as I've mentioned before, many times with these complicated cases, and especially if there's an agent involved, we will not get to the crux of the issue until maybe a couple weeks before the hearing. So that might be something to consider at the next annual meeting is there are there opportunities um, in that case, if both the applicant and the assessor agree to say, let's do a pre-hearing conference, even if it's just a few days ahead of the assessment appeal hearing. 
you're 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 saying even if your agreement to have the conference is a few days ahead of the scheduled hearing. Mm -hmm. That's correct. Right. Yes. Though the problem with that is, are the board members available? Exactly. And we could end up um, in those instances saying, okay, we're just going to have basically a meeting with the board members on that assigned day. And then we can um, select an alternative hearing date for another time. So that's another way of handling that, which we have done in the past. But yeah, but yeah the, the, that's, that is really part of the, the problem is getting the information to us timely enough in order to to organize all these particular dates. And as, as again, as Mr. Seavey can attest to, most of the time um, agents will file these cases a couple of years in advance, but until it, it is calendared for a date, and most of the time they don't get the information to us until about two weeks before the hearing. So then we're really scrambling with, okay, exactly how do we organize this? But we can certainly do it. We can do it. We just have to, you know, get a little bit better with setting up some procedures as we move forward. Well, I David, think we're. Oh, go ahead. We have, we have we have either at the request of parties or or um, on our own after hearing uh, the first five minutes of something suggested pre-hearing conferences. Um, and uh, so, so that works, but uh, the, the big issue will be um, that we'll be pushing things off into the future. Exactly. More often. Ms. Scott, do you have a comment? I do. Um, I think it's with, you know, I think it really behooves all of us to reach out to, you know, the applicants and certainly for the large cases and anytime maybe there is a tax rep involved, do the pre-hearing conference. I see, I see that really serving everyone. Um, so it's something that I'm certainly um, willing to explore. I don't know how you all feel about it, but I think, um, you know, bringing everybody to the table sooner rather than later um, serves everyone. And like Andrea did say, uh, it seems to be the rule for these folks that, you know, they hold back the information as long as possible. But if there's a pre-hearing conference, maybe we'll get all the information and we can settle. I um, mean, you know, a lot of times it's just battling them trying to get the information. Can the, can the pre-hearing conference be telephonic or by Zoom? Are there any rules there or does it need to be in person? I don't Good know. Question. Good question. And, and that might be the opportunity right there. Um, I suspect because your board can have hearings remotely that you could have a pre-hearing conference remotely. I don't see anything that would make that against the rules. Just as a reminder, we did have a Zoom uh, pre-hearing conference of May of 2021. So it wasn't purely telephonic, it was a Zoom based. So uh, we have had that experience. I know personally, I mean, it, this makes a lot of sense. And I would, I'd be, you know, I think if we said like for each hearing, we're going to set a standing, um, you know, pre-hearing pre conference two weeks out on that Friday and it's by Zoom or telephonic, I know I could, I could schedule that no problem and just leave it as a standing open time. And maybe that kind of, kind of works through some of these issues. 
most most of these don't need pre-hearing conferences. Um, so I'm 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 leery about saying, well, we'll do one for for every every hearing, um, but at the same time, we kind of don't know whether it needs it until we've had one. <laughs> what it is. Perhaps it could <laughs> rotate between the boards every other month, one one hearing a month or something, or just reserved. So just again, weighing in on the clerk's perspective, again, the clerk will do our best to meet the requests of your board. Again, as a reminder, uh, the clerk's office is currently short staffed and we will be um, further so at the end of this month. Uh, we, have, we have discussed with Ms. Balf the consideration of perhaps adding additional hearing dates to get through the backlog. And so now I'm hearing perhaps additional dates to do pre-hearing conferences. And I'm concerned about the demands on the clerk, the, the limited clerk resources here for that. Again, I, I support us further exploring it. I would um, suggest again, before anything is cast in stone in terms of any additional dates set aside for this or that purpose, that we have a chance to kind of vet it more thoroughly in terms of what is, what is it looking like? What is the time commitment? What are the needs in terms of how advanced notice and, and so forth? And again, if uh, you know, as bring this back at the annual meeting or to further vet, um, again, clearly there's going to be some resource demands on the clerk's office to accommodate whether it's additional hearings or pre-hearing conference discussions or whatever, in addition to the already existing heavy uh, hearing load. It may ask procedurally, does the same, if, if it's you know set for board one, could board two do the pre-hearing conference? Like, could you set you know the pre-hearing conference for the you know the, the meeting that's already scheduled before? If that makes sense. So if there's a upcoming, you know, meeting down the line that's an issue, just set those for the, the, the month before. So you kind of double up the meeting purpose. The adopted procedures by the board say that a panel of the AAB shall conduct a pre-hearing conference. So I don't think it matters which board, but if the purpose of the pre-hearing conference is to give the board that's gonna like hold the hearing some background, some like sense of what the case is about and like some framework to put all of this evidence into, you know, as it starts, I think it may not give as much of that if it's the other board hearing it, unless the boards talk and sort of check in about it between the pre-hearing conference and the hearing itself. Ms. Scott. Thank you. Um, I'm just curious, just for in the interest of workflow and case management, I would like to know the number of cases that, you know, what is that actual backlog and what is coming up on that two-year deadline? I know that through COVID, I had many applicants reach out and say they wanted an in-person hearing and they wanted to extend. Um, not everyone signed a waiver. So I'm just curious in terms of case management, where we're at with that. And if you don't have that information, that's fine. But if you could email it at some point, just so that I can allocate resources, staff time. And um, I'm just fearful that it's the backlog is, is so high that I may need to address the issue with the county administrator. 
Yes, Scott, if I could interject, um, from my understanding, it's about 600, possibly plus a few, 600, yes. Mm -hmm. And we don't have waivers on all 600 that, no. <laughs> Uh, okay, I, I would really like to see that number because um, I certainly don't want to put the county at risk of, you know, there's a provision in the law that says, you know, certainly if, if we can't get to these cases by the deadline that we're bound to accept their opinion of value. And if it's $1, um, you know, we would be really um, remiss in our duties of really handling this caseload. So there's just something that I think needs to be worked out if that's going to be additional resources or you know, finding a different way to streamline some of these, we need to look at that. So I would be curious to see that report um, at some point in the near future, just for case management and workflow. And if I need to go to the administrator, I'm gonna to need to have that data to back up any ask I'm gonna be asking for. Okay, absolutely. Thank you. I, I just get worried because at the last hearing we had all day and only heard three cases. So when that, when I try to process that in my mind, um, I'm fearful we can't get through it. And for next month, we basically just have one, one case specific to April. And, and part of the problem that's happened is that some of these larger cases are scheduled like for the April hearing. Um, it's one is, as the clerk had mentioned, it's one um, taxpayer with several locations. And so if for any reason that is postponed, then that's a lost opportunity for that particular hearing date. And we've had that happen um, here with some larger um, properties in the, the past couple of months. Well, when I don't I, know if I should bring this up or not, but it is something I've had conversations with my council on. Um, I know it's not on the agenda, so I don't know if I can bring it up. JC, the item that you and I were discussing earlier, is that something I can bring up because it's not on the agenda? Yeah, hi. Um, I think that's unfortunately probably a better question that's directed to Ms. Anchor as counsel for the board. Um, it would okay. seem to me that if it's not specifically on the agenda, um, it's not something that can be discussed unless it's related specifically to something that has been added to the agenda. Okay, understood. To bring some closure on the previous item, did we agree that we're gonna see the application in advance? Or do we need a motion? I'm, I still need clarity. Would you just want to have the application only? Because we just, I think we just segued into something else. We didn't finish that. It, yeah. it, it, it would have to be only the application, no okay. attachments. And how many days in advance? Probably, probably a, a week or so when you're uh, in the position, uh, you know, of, of knowing who's actually going to be showing up. 
And would you like that email? Sure. Okay. Thank Works you. for me. Okay. Thank you. So do you want to make my interruption? My apologies. Just so that you're aware, um, as you may already be, you know, the clerk may schedule a calendar for 45 cases on a, on a date. And by the time we get to that hearing, we may be left with five or few, you know, a, a far reduced number. And so, again, there's going to be a matter of the clerk will produce the application for the cases that remain on calendar as of that date. By the time the hearing comes a week later, it, it's likely going to be very different or certainly different. Um, so there's, and again, the clerk will do as directed, but just so that you're aware, you, you will receive some content that is no longer um, current and we'll have to discard it. And the clerk, again, just in terms of a resource management issue will um, provide um, the copies as requested. That's why I was suggesting you know, no more than a week before, maybe, uh, uh, you know, if you, if, if it's usual that you don't know until three days before, then that would be, in my mind, the time. I mean, it doesn't take a whole lot of time to look over an application, um, but it is nice to see it beforehand. Um, so whatever's, whatever's the timing when, when you would send us the notice of what you expect to be on the calendar, uh, that, what you would expect in terms of actual appearances. That'd okay. be my idea of when we receive the applications of those you expect to actually appear. Absolutely, Board Member Brinkerhoff. What I'll do then is let's just expect to receive it the Wednesday before the hearing, since you're only gonna look at the application and then we can go from there. Okay, and I'll just email. And just to be clear, does the board want the applications for all things on the agenda or just the ones that are scheduled for a hearing? Because I feel like sometimes there's like other things scheduled and yeah, it could stipulations be. and yeah, I would in my mind it'd just be uh, those for which there would be a hearing. If there's a stipulation, um, we should. No, I wouldn't expect we need that. Just wanted to make sure the clerk was clear on what was being asked to reduce unnecessary work <laughs> if possible. Thank you, Ms. Anchor. I appreciate that. So, so the we need a motion for the clerk to provide us with just the applications, the cover application for those cases which are scheduled for hearing on the Wednesday before the Friday hearing. That sounded like a good motion, Karina. I'm trying. <laughs> if you don't make it, I'll adopt it. Uh, make it myself. You can second it. <laughs> I'll second it. Thank you. Board Member Brinkerhoff? Yes. Board Member Sorensen? Yes. Chair Rollins? Yes. Board Member Weathers? Yes. Board Member Gremmels? Yes. Chair Kugelman? Yes. Okay. Well, I think that uh, concludes our meeting. 
Is there anything else somebody or anybody would like to say or? I mean, ask, ask one question just about what Ms. Scott was going to bring up. Is there a way in the future just to have kind of an omnibus agenda item? So if there are things that come up since we only meet twice a year? I don't think you can do that legally under the Brown Act. You guys aren't a Brown Act body, though. So I don't, I think oh. probably Shelly could talk about what she wanted to talk about. Um, because you're not a Brown Act body, I think that the agendas are, are more for just like, having everybody know sort of what's going to be talked about. Um, I don't know of any other like body of law that would cover your board that would require everything that you talk about be listed on the agenda. But I don't know, Diane, do you know, is there something other than the Brown Act that would? I'm not aware. I do not either. Yeah. Are these meetings open to the public? I believe so. Mm -hmm. Yes, they are. Um, a, a, in a different format here during Zoom, but yes. Have they ever come? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, so Ms. Scott, I remember you, you, you have four minutes left. If you want, I mean, I, I'm, I'm fine to hear what you have to say. I mean, we're here, and now's the time. Yeah, and again, I, you know, I, I defer to, uh, to counsel for the board if it's there's no concern that it's a Brown Act violation or a violation of any other statute. I, I don't have any issue with it. That was just my one concern. Okay, Sarah, are you okay? Is it okay? Can I offer my suggestion? Okay for you to offer your suggestion. And it's like related to stuff we're talking about. Right? It's not like totally <laughs> off left field. Well, also, I don't think we're asking for any particular action either. Yeah, I think so. it's fine. So long as we're not good, let's not take any action. You're not a Brannock body. I think it's fine no matter what, but just to be, um, let's not take action, but just hear Shelly. Okay, just like a this. suggestion that, and something that I've been thinking of given um, kind of the alarming news of the backlog that we currently have and trying to process it and be responsive to our constituents was possibly maybe having a hearing officer where it's very informal. The very larger counties like LA, San Diego, San Francisco, um, Sacramento, they have a hearing officer. Um, my thought was perhaps one of the, you know, you guys could rotate this through in terms of the existing board members and just have one board member, you know, one of my uh, assessors at the table and just working through some of the very smaller what I anticipate easier, smaller appeals um, and just working them through quickly instead of the real formal process we currently have um, as you know, the hearing that we currently have in front of the board. It's very, it's very formal. And I, I haven't witnessed this anywhere. I only know from my, my other fellow assessors around the state that they have a much faster process at this and they work around these backlogs quickly and efficiently via, um, a hearing officer, and I know John Offerman, a staff member uh, who used to work in LA County, um, has some experience with this. Certainly, send me sent me some of their rules. I thus sent it to my attorney. I just thought perhaps in an effort to clear our backlog from the COVID crisis, it might be something we entertain. I don't know. I think it's, it's a suggestion. I think it's a great idea. I mean, in federal court, they assign every case to a a magistrate not involved in the case to do a, basically a settlement conference. And I think that makes, and I'd be personally happy to do it. You know, I agree. I think that makes sense. I think it's so, a good idea. The authority to have hearing officers is definitely something that would have to go to the board of supervisors. Oh, so oh, um, oh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm not the attorney. I just know from speaking to my peers, this is something that they do to help 
you know, yeah. mitigate and streamline some of this. And again, I'm only saying for the very small kind of easygoing cases, oh, and my 1030 is ready to start. Um, yeah, so it would definitely have to go to the board. And I think the one thing I would be interested to know, Shelly, is do the counties that have hearing officers have both or do they just have hearing officers? Because the way I've seen it discussed is you either have hearing officers or you have assessment appeals board. I haven't seen both. That doesn't mean that it's not out there. That's just not what I am familiar with around um, hearing officers and doing assessment appeals work. I thought it was sort of one or the other. The I'm sorry. I, 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 don't, I don't know if it's one or the other. I don't see why it couldn't be both. I'm not aware. I didn't ask that question, but it's a great question, Sarah. I can certainly loop in with some of my fellow assessors and ask. I can answer that. That's most okay. of, as Shelly had mentioned, this really is um, prevalent in the larger counties where they will have both. And predominantly it's the residential cases that go to the hearing officer and simplified cases like um, is the property, uh, has it declined in value? Those are some of the, the examples that you would probably see going to the hearing officer, something that's, that's very um, easy to determine with the evidence presented. I, I have you. read about this and um, my understanding in terms of the history of it is that there is an option if the public, the, the taxpayer is not satisfied that there is an appeal process yes. to supervisors, Correct. at least in the counties that were referenced in the textbook <laughs> I was reading. You are correct, that, Karina. Yes, that is correct. That they have the the um, both, have both parties have the option to say, okay, we're not we're not yeah. in agreement with this decision. Yeah. Perhaps we can schedule this for the annual meeting in July Absolutely. to talk further. Okay, and I'm so sorry, but I have to leave. I have another meeting at 10:30. It's a hard stop for me, and they're already pinging me. So, <laughs> thank you all. Appreciate your time. Thank, Andrea, thank you. On this call too. Yes, thank you. Thank, thank you very much, board members and council and, and clerks. We really appreciate all the time and effort that you put into um, preparing for the hearings and as well as preparing for this meeting. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, if there's nothing else further, we can adjourn the meeting. I make a motion. We adjourn. Second. Second. <laughs> okay. Board member Brinkerhoff? Aye. Board Member Sorensen? Yes. Chair Rollins? Bye. <laughs> Board Member Weathers? Yes. Board Member Gremmels? Yes. Chair Kugelman? Yes. Okay, we're adjourned 1032. Have a good day. Thank, Thank you. Have a nice weekend. Thank Bye. you.